happy almost Halloween, everyone. Just four days away it is. We are very, very close. Let's just slow down, savor the season, and the time we have left of it, okay? Let's hear some Halloween campfire frights. That's the name I've settled on. I've been flip-flopping around for what to call my my Halloween episode where I read uh, short stories written by you, and this is what I've landed on. It is now known as Halloween Campfire Frights. Let's get spooky. Dim those lights. Lay back. Close your eyes and imagine you are sitting around a campfire with your friends. The smell of smoke looming through the air. There is an autumn chill wrapping all around you. You're wearing a warm knitted sweater and big knitted socks. A few of you are making warm gooey s'mores and everyone is laughing, laughing, having a good time in the warm glow of the fire. A big pot of hot chocolate with marshmallows warms over the open flames. The summer trees are now ominous as they have dropped all their leaves. The ground is littered with brown, orange, and red dried up foliage that crunches under your boots when you walk. Someone in your group grabs a flashlight holds it under their face for a spooky effect and says, they have a scary story to tell you. Pour yourself a mug of hot chocolate, sit back and get ready to be scared. Welcome to the Halloween special where I bring to life scary campfire stories written by you. Welcome to the Halloween Campfire Frights episode. The first story is called Dance with the Devil by Indie Anonymous. I live with strict Christian parents who dictate everything I do. Play the piano, join the chess club. They never give me a break. I personally did not have a relationship with God. It was a week before a school dance and my crush asked me to go. I begged my parents to let me go, but they kept saying no. The next day when we went to church, instead of praying to God, I, well, I prayed to Satan. I prayed that my parents would say yes or something bad would happen. When we got home, they told me I could go to the dance with the exception I didn't dance or eat. I hugged them tight and ran to my room. When the dance came around, I changed into my prettiest dress and kneeled at my bed. I clasped my hands together and prayed again. I don't know if this was really you under Lord, but thank you. I got up and I ran outside. My crush picked me up and we left. In the car, I got a gut-wrenching feeling. I felt like my insides were being twisted and ripped out. I told my crush and we pulled over. I got out of the car and instantly threw up. Blood covered the ground. It started moving, though. The blood seeped around, spelling the words, I helped you. Your turn. 
I knew what it meant, but I didn't know what he wanted. I got back in the car and went to the dance. The entire time, I felt sick. The same stomach feeling. It was time for a slow dance, and my crush put out his hand. I remembered what my parents said. Don't dance. But I didn't care. We danced all night. Then, I felt it again. I was going to throw up. I sprinted to the bathroom. More blood came out of my mouth. It moved into the words... I want him. Thank you so much, Indie Anonymous, for allowing me to read that spooky piece of fiction. This next haunting tale is called Come and Play by Reddit user QuoteTheRaven67. My eyes have wandered too far, and now I pay the price. I made an innocent mistake that will not be forgiven. I associated fairies with Thumbelina toadstools, enchanted forests, and a chorus of beautiful music. Sing they do, and yes, it is so lyrical, but haunting. I wandered by chance on a midsummer's eve into a fairy circle. It just appeared to be a ring of mushrooms. I found it off a trail in a meadow of my local park. Then I saw them glowing with fairy dust upon the wings. Everything I imagined and more with such wondrous colors. Sapphire, sea foam, garnet, candy floss, nightshade. This was the most splendid sight I'd ever seen. At first glance, they seemed to be joyful, continuing their melody. I thought I had gone unnoticed watching this fairy soiree. Their eyes reflected the northern lights. Until they seemingly invited me to join the dance. It was at first slow-paced and elegant. I did my best to copy the moves. It wasn't long until I was utterly entranced by the movements in the song. The tempo picked up as the speed did. Soon, I wasn't able to keep up as it grew quite rapid. I found my legs wouldn't stop, even though I felt out of breath. Panic was now taking over the joy and replaced it with fear. The fairies look positively feral with sharp teeth. I was completely at their mercy. They had cast a spell on me. I grew weak and dizzy as the blisters on my feet formed. Their sound of music gave way to malicious laughter. It grew deeper in pitch and even more sinister. I spun faster, faster, and faster, near out of control before they released me and I fell to the ground panting for air. Sweet human, it was fun to play with you. We'll have to do it again sometime. I thought bitterly, this is what you do to people you like. They retreated as if to let me escape. I forced myself to jog. It was all I could manage. Their last message had indeed been a warning and threat. If this was playful, I really didn't want to know their fury. I couldn't walk on my feet for a while. They were blistered. 
badly and the souls felt painful as they bled. I was so lucky to have the soles of my feet. My ankles could have snapped. They could have made me dance to death. I have no idea what stopped them. The laughter stalks my days. Sometimes in the night, I lock every window, every door, and would hide away in fear. I never wanted to see another pixie or any creature ever again. It's far too risky as it is terrifying. Especially on moonlit nights, the kind you'd love to stargaze under. You'd never know if their prying eyes would be upon you or what magic they would use. Would they lure you out with pretty promises as they do to me? As night falls, they come to me and speak of wondrous places beyond the veil. The fairy lands where there is no more pain, no old age, only play and good times amongst the fairies. They say it in the sweetest voice and I wanted to believe them in spite of everything. That was another horrifying thing. I would disregard my safety and my life just for another dance with them. I go to my door at night and I can never open it. I want more than anything to walk in the moonlight with them. They will kill me one day and they will wait till my willpower crumbles or till I'm driven utterly mad. Come outside. Come play with us. (laughs) Hearing those words, I just broke down and cried. I'll never open the door for them, ever. Thank you so much. Quote the Raven 67. That was truly a horrifying story. And thank you so much for allowing me to read that. This next one is called My Sister's Paintings Are Possessed by Marcus Starr. That name may sound familiar to some of you if you listened to the Halloween episode from last year because Marcus submitted a story last year about a phone receiving text messages from the dead. So I'm very pleased to read another one of his stories this year. Thank you, Marcus. It is wonderful to read another one of your stories this year. So here it is. Here is My Sister's Paintings Are Possessed by Marcus Starr. Tracy doesn't hate people on purpose. She's not like that. It's her paintings. They hate people. I remember her very first one when she was still a kid. She painted a scantily clad woman sitting cross-legged in a field of tall grass, a cluster of threatening clouds looming overhead. It was quite remarkable to be honest. The woman's auburn hair blowing wistfully in the breeze while she gazes across the minty meadow, stretching over the languid landscape However, upon closer inspection, something about it was deeply disturbing. For starters, the clouds were moving. It took a while to notice. They'd sift along gingerly, like unholy apparitions, high above the woman in the wayward dress. 
My sister was proud of it. So were my parents who quickly pointed out my obvious lack of artistic merit. Hell, I could barely scribble a stick person, let alone a full-size painting with blended colors, depth, and ingenuity. No one knew how she did it. Tracy hung the painting in her room above her bed. At first, nothing out of the ordinary happened until after dark when the painting started whispering to me. Haunted howls like furious winds on a stormy night. Those dreadful clouds teased me, saying how stupid I was as my mind drifted into the land of slumber. No one in the house heard the painting but me. This was bad. After weeks of this, I, I'd had enough. The painting was ruining my sleep. The fact that no one believed me made it worse. I plotted my revenge. One day after school, I crept into her bedroom with a jar full of spiders. My plan was to put them inside her pillow. That would teach her. Tracy hated spiders, still does, except as I removed her pillow casing ready to release the creepy crawlers, the painting started rattling. Then something flew out of it. A shadowy vampire with crooked horns on its head and long spindly fingers. It had no facial features, just shape. I dropped the spiders and scrammed. My sister was furious. Those pesky spiders crawled into every crevice of her room. Her closet, her dresser, even her computer. One spider, a big one with long hairy legs and beady eyes, managed to sneak into her gym bag and lay eggs. Scared her stupid when the following week at her ballet recital outsprung a cluster of spiders. The painting was unimpressed. Anytime I got near it, it would grit and growl. Sometimes I'd get shocked or stabbing pains would pierce my chest. This went on and on. So did its relentless teasing. The damned thing kept taunting me, especially at night when I lay in bed trembling. Slowly my life fell apart. My grades were slipping and my friends and family thought I was going nuts. I tried destroying it in panic fueled rage. I ripped the painting off the wall, beat it to death with a hammer, tossed its colorful carcass into the garage. That ought to do it, I said with a smirk. It didn't. Damned thing came back. Swear to God damned God. When I checked, there it was back on my sister's wall, sneering at me. I almost died right then and there. I steered clear of my sister's room after that. Still, the painting's taunting persisted. It was ruthless. When I told my parents, they scolded me for being jealous of my kid sister's talent. When I confided in my friends, they laughed and ridiculed. I was all alone. Things got worse. That summer, my baseball team was in first place, looking to win the championship. It was the night before the big game. I was pitching. The damned painting wouldn't let me be. As I was falling asleep, I felt something laying on me 
pressing against my chest. When I heard my name, my eyes snapped open. The shadow figure inside the painting was hovering over me, whispering nasty phrases into my ear, telling me how much I sucked, that my team would lose, and everyone would blame me. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Swear to goddamn God I'm telling the truth. Needless to say, I didn't speak to my sister for the remainder of the summer. High school was starting in the fall. I was hoping to leave this behind me. To my chagrin, she began painting again. My parents were pleased. They bought her the finest paints money could buy. My sister was thrilled. She painted fast and furious. When she was finished her new painting, I nearly died. It was another landscape. Only instead of a field, it was a silver-laced city, clad with tall buildings towering over tiny ant-like beings below. A speck of light seeping through the shimmering skyscrapers. It was good, I'll admit that. The way the busted neon sign hung sideways in the distance, limp and lifeless, while busy bodies paraded along the surly city streets going God knows where. She hung it in the living room next to the TV for all to see. My parents were proud. They invited all their friends to come gaze at its marvelousness. Everyone loved it. She was the toast of the town. My resentment grew like fungus. I hated that damn thing. Something about it gave me the creeps. And for good reason. I ignored it out of spite and fear. Until one night after a hectic day at school, I sat down to watch a movie. I forget which one. My parents were out with my sister. She had a ballet recital, which I refused to go to. Hey, Zach the painting said, surprising the hell out of me. You suck. I snapped my attention away from the TV. The painting was trembling like an angry mother, making low gurgling noises. A light flickered inside one of the tall buildings. A face appeared in the window. It was the ugliest face I'd ever seen. Its eyes were big black holes. Its teeth pearly white, sharp as swords. It had horns on its head, like the devil. Then it leapt out of the painting, scaring me stupid. The shadowy figure flew across the room, fast as a fox, then dissolved into nothing. I screamed. I screamed. Then I beelined it to my bedroom, slamming the door behind me. Just my imagination, I told myself, over and over, curled up under my bedsheets, quivering. I was 16, too old to believe in the boogeyman, but young enough to be scared half to death. The following week was spent contemplating my next move, which wasn't easy. I had no one to confide in. People already thought I was crazy. I didn't want to prove it. I tried searching online, but soon gave up too many rabbit holes. I was at a crossroads. Things were escalating. The two paintings were combining forces, gaining strength. 
Sometimes while sleeping, I'd hear them chattering back and forth, gabbing on about how much I sucked and how ugly and stupid I was. Their voices were deep and guttural, like evil game show hosts. Sleep was non-existence. The damn paintings wouldn't shut up. On and on, they rambled through the night, plotting ways to ruin my life. No one else seemed to notice. I was coming unglued. I couldn't take much more of this. Time for revenge. One night while my parents had taken my sister to the mall, I tiptoed across the living room, clutching my father's exacto knife. My knuckles were white, my blood boiling like hot soup. I could hear my heart beating underneath my t-shirt. The thump, the thump, the thump. I knew this would land me in a whole heap of trouble, but I didn't care. This was it. Now or never. I deal with the consequences later. With gritted teeth, I plunged the knife. The painting shrieked, crying like a dying dog. I stabbed the wretched thing again and again, tearing it to shreds. The painting pushed back, knocking me off my feet. As I fell, the knife flew from my fingers, cutting me badly, staining the carpet a deep crimson red. I fled to the washroom, trying not to get blood everywhere. After cleaning my wounds, I returned to the living room with shaky hands and wobbly feet. I had to clean the blood-stained carpet or my mother would kill me. Panic attacked. Tears trickled down my cheeks like a freshly flowing stream. You can do this, I told myself, sobbing. What happened next still haunts me. To my horror, the painting was hanging on the wall unscathed. The light inside the tallest building flickering. The devilish face inside it seething. Then it spoke. Nice try. Zack. I screamed, ran to my bedroom, wept. From then on, I started counting down the days until I could move out and live on my own. This became my life's mission. To everyone's surprise, including my own, my grades slowly improved. They had to. Otherwise, I'd never go to college, thus being stuck at home forevermore. Unfortunately, whatever was haunting those paintings was now controlling my sister. She became erratic. She had no friends to speak of, her dancing days long gone. She stopped eating and whenever someone spoke to her, she'd call them horrific names. Mind you, she'd just turned 13, so my parents thought it was a phase. It wasn't. All she did was paint. Her third painting was unlike the other two. It was a montage of calico colors sweeping across a stormy sky. Clouds sneered as they rolled along the smoggy skyline, atop a frigid flurry of radical shapes. It was striking. I'd never seen anything like it. My parents were enamored. Friends and relatives gathered to gaze at it, praising its splendor. She hung it in her bedroom above her desk, away from prying eyes. This suited me fine. I hated the thing. I knew right away it would cause havoc, which... It did. As usual, everyone thought I was jealous and continued lecturing me for being selfish. Little did they know. 
One day after school, her bedroom door creaked open. Whispered words whisked from the creatures living in the paintings. At first, I thought it was coming from outside, maybe the kids next door playing in the yard. Then it spoke my name, beckoning me. Against my better judgment, I poked my head inside just for a peek. The room was coffin dark. It smelled like a corpse. The room started shaking. The floor trembled. sister was hovering horizontally above her bed, frothing. Her eyes rolled into the back of her head, arms folded on her abdomen. She was in a trance, talking in tongues. I took a tentative step towards her, unable to stop myself. I noticed the paintings rocking back and forth on the wall. A creature flew out of them, forcing me backwards. Without hesitating, I flicked on the light. Tracy fell with a thud. Her slitted bloodshot eyes peered at me, full of venom. The creature spoke. Go away, creep. Go away, creep, my sister repeated, clearly entranced. I did. Needless to say, I've never spoken to her again, except on birthdays and holidays, and even then, only a sentence or two. My sister continued to paint while maintaining a life of solitude. Guidance counselors, teachers, and doctors alike were perplexed. No one knew what to do. She was a freak, but damn could she paint. By the time she finished high school, the entire house was cluttered with them, each one exhibiting odd behavior. My parents could no longer deny it. Fortunately for me, I was long gone. College to the rescue. One day while visiting, she'd be about 17, my sister was waiting for me, dressed head to toe in black. Her ashen face like an autumn moon. She was holding a painting. Here, she said, arms reached out. She handed me the painting. Shakily, I took the painting, vowing to burn it the moment I got home. The painting snapped like a crocodile, threatening to tear my left arm off. I wanted to hate the thing. I really did. Problem was, part of me liked it. She painted me as a young boy, pitching on a mound of green, hand in a weathered glove, eyes cold as steel. My hair was blowing in the breeze, a bloodthirsty crowd roared its approval, waving signs and foamy fingers. The smell of Cracker Jacks and freshly grilled Frankfurts was pungent. I said, thank you, and carefully placed it in the back of my car. The painting protested. It complained the entire ride. I swear I heard the announcer call me a chicken shit coward. Once home, I lit it on fire, tossed it into the dumpster, out back. The stupid painting didn't stand a chance. It came back. The following morning, the first day of my new job, no less, 
it was hanging on my wall next to the flat screen TV, except now the crowd was quarreling and causing a ruckus. As I got closer, someone in the crowd started waving. A shadow emerged. I spilled coffee all over my crotch. After cursing and cleaning up, I scurried out the door buying breakfast on my way to work. On my lunch break, I called my landlord informing him that I was moving. I hired a moving company, found a cheap place on the east side, and never set foot inside that apartment again. This story should end here, but it doesn't. It gets worse. And believe me, I've left most of it out. You've read the Coles notes, if you will. I could expand this story by a hundred pages easy, like the time her painting made my mother spill a glass of red wine across her beige blouse right before her board meeting. To my dismay, my mother blamed me. The nerve of these people. She hadn't heard the painting snort rejoicing in her misfortune, but I did. Or the time my father was in his workroom using the circular saw. Tracy's latest painting was overlooking him. The saw fired up on its own, cutting off his thumb and forefinger. Doctors were able to retach them, but still. Or how my sister started reading our minds that was awful. She knew stuff that was impossible to know, like how I had a crush on my grade 12 teacher, Miss Peabody, or that my mother was cheating on dad with his best friend, Carl, or how my father had peculiar porn fetishes, abhorrent even this day and age. Tracy cheated on all her tests. Her teachers suspected this, but couldn't figure out how she did it. She was an A-plus student who never studied a day in her life. Sadly, she's remained a recluse. No one likes her, including me, but I am her brother and part of me still loves her. The problem is this, my sister is famous or at least her paintings are. They've sold all over the world. She's made a fortune. You probably have one of her paintings hanging in your home or at your office. Hell, every dental office in America has one and they're haunted. Tracy is a pseudonym. I can't say who she really is. I'm terrified she'll find out. She'll send over another painting. I shudder at the thought. I'm worried about you, the reader. You probably haven't put two and two together that since purchasing one of her paintings, your life has fallen apart. But I'll bet it has. Burn it. Pray it doesn't return. You're cursed. You just don't know it. But you will. Her paintings are possessed every damned one of them. No wonder everyone is so agitated these days. Wow, another great one from Marcus Starr. Again, thank you so much, Marcus. And again, I would like to thank everyone who participated in this year's Halloween Campfire Frights. Uh, I do have a little surprise for all my listeners, and that is that on Halloween, I will be releasing a 
bonus Halloween campfire frights featuring two fiction scary stories. Both involve Halloween and or mention Halloween, which is why I'm waiting until Halloween to release them. I also think it'll be really nice for you to have some spooky stories to listen to either the morning of Halloween to get into the the spirit of things or in the night of Halloween when you're winding down or if maybe you just want to sit at home and listen to scary podcasts all night. I know that I've definitely done that before on Halloween. So yes, I will release a bonus Halloween campfire frights featuring two stories Halloween related on Halloween just because I think that'll be really, really fun for everyone. I do have one more scary story for you. And this one was sent in by a listener who would like to be referred to as S. Savage. So thank you so much for sending in your story. And here we go. I'm so tired, but I can never sleep. I try every night. I just lay there staring at my ceiling. This is why I started going for walks. I know it's not safe to walk around the city at night, but I couldn't stay cooped up in my apartment any longer. Besides, I've got pepper spray and I know how to use it. I remember that day at work because it wasn't a normal day. That day we had a painful team building outing. It consisted of everyone in the office getting on a bus, going to an outdoor team building center and participating in problem solving activities. The exercises were a bit much if you ask me. The last one was in a cave. I hate tight dark spaces so this one it was really hard for me. We were divided into two groups. One group was given a flashlight and the other group was given a map. And in order to get out of the cave, we had to work as a, as a team. Our groups had to work together. After more arguing than probably most, we managed to complete the task and suddenly found ourselves out of the cave. I'm glad we only do these days once a year. That night I couldn't sleep. And this is when I went on one of my late night walks. It was on this walk that I felt like I was being followed. Every time I looked around though, I was by myself. The streets still and silent, not another person around. I walked past a dark alley and I swear I heard my name being called from the abyss. Leslie. I don't know why, but I stopped and I took a step towards the opening of the alley. I don't know why I did this. I peered down looking for any movement, but it was useless. It was too dark. I strained my eyes until they hurt and then I yelled, who's there? Ugh, such a stupid move. I know, but lack of sleep had me not thinking straight. I heard some boxes shake and topple over. As the boxes fell, something slid out of the darkness right to my feet. I looked down and saw a wooden Ouija board. Looked to be in good condition, very solid as well. I flipped the top of the wooden box off with my foot and inside was a gorgeous Ouija board carved out of wood and had that rustic burnt look to it, matching planchette and all. 
Just then a cat raced by me out of the alley. Of course there's a cat in there. I mean, the cat can't say my name. I must have been imagining that. But it must have been the cat that knocked over some boxes that someone had illegally dumped there and a Ouija board was among the abandoned items. I rationalized this situation way too quickly looking back. However, I love collecting creepy things and a Ouija board this nice is definitely something to collect. It is a nice decorative piece anyhow, would look great on my coffee table. I tuck the box under my arm and I make my way home. I had the most amazing sleep that night. All that walking is really paying off. As I'm eating breakfast, I remember the Ouija board. I go get it and I set it up beside me, inspecting every letter, every corner, every ding. It is so beautiful. There is something so comforting about it. When I slid the planchette across the board, it feels like I'm wrapped in a warm blanket. I decided to ask a question. What's the harm? These things aren't real anyways. For my first question, I ask, am I alone here? Almost immediately, the planchette shot over to no. Oh, that was strange, I thought. I must have did that was my first thought. For the next question, I took my hand off the planchette. I then asked, who is here with me? Nothing. The planchette stayed over the word no. I looked at the time and I realized I had to go to work. That day at work, I told some coworkers about the board and they all seemed really excited about the idea of playing on it. We then made plans to do so on the weekend, which was also Halloween. Some of my coworkers brought up stories of when they were kids, said they would play the Ouija board and and scare each other for laughs at sleepovers. Seemed to be a nostalgia thing. The idea did sound entertaining. I could put together a Halloween costume, create a scary Spotify playlist, and have a great night. I guess that team building day did bring us all closer together. I had never had my coworkers over to my home before. My Ouija board Halloween party sent a buzz through the office. All day I would overhear people asking each other what they were going to dress up as for the party my party. I'd giddily think to myself. That morning, I made sure everything was perfect for my guests. I found a black silk scarf, which I set up the Ouija board on in the living room, in the center of the room on my coffee table. Perfect. There is enough room for us all to sit around the board. I ran out to the dollar store and purchased cheesy but fun Halloween decorations. I queued up a playlist and got into costume. I've always loved the television show The Walking Dead, so I dressed up like a zombie. My coworkers started arriving around 7 that evening. Everyone who walked through the door brought something to contribute to the party. Either a cheese board, cookies, a bottle of booze for the punch bowl, or some of their favorite wine. The costumes were much better than I had anticipated. Vampires, ghosts, witches, and even a few other zombies. We all hung around, ate some party snacks, had a few drinks, and took turns photographing each other running through the smoke machines for Instagram. 
Around 8.45, I dimmed the lights, switched the music to a playlist called Creepy Ambience, and told everyone it was time to Ouija. Giddily, everyone took a seat around the board. I had no idea what I was doing, but I wanted to make a show of it. I lit a single black candle and placed it on the table near the board. I then took a glass jar of regular white table salt and circled everyone clockwise while dramatically sprinkling the salt as I walked. Once I completed the circle, I said, it is time. I must admit, I did a great job to set the mood. It seemed like some people wanted to spectate and others wanted to participate. This worked out perfectly. I was among the participating. Is there a spirit with us tonight? I asked the board. We all sat there staring, but nothing seemed to be happening. Someone in the group started to repeat the question, but before they got out their entire sentence, the planchette flung itself over to the word yes. A collective gasp rose from everyone and then laughter. Then another question was asked, this time by someone in the group. Did you die here? The planchette then swung over to no. Everyone looked around like they were trying to figure out if they were moving the slider, and if not them, then what? Okay, hands off the planchette for this next question, someone in the group ordered. All hands shot up in the air like it was a robbery. Then the next question was asked, what do you want? All eyes were on the board to see what the answer was going to be without anybody's hands near the board. To everyone's surprise, the planchette guided effortlessly without a single hand on it or even near it. L-E-T-G-O, it spelled. Let go? Someone repeated what had just been spelled. One of my coworkers sat beside me, leaned in, and asked how I was doing this. Others looked under the table for magnets or something. I told them I'm not doing anything and maybe we should just stop playing. But everyone in the group protested, so we continued. What is it like where you are? That's what somebody asked next. The planchette? didn't move. The next few questions seemed to have no effect on the board. People started to lose interest in it, one by one turning away from the board and sparking up small conversations. The planchette slowly started to move around the board all on its own again. Only a few of us noticed and we watched in shock as it hovered around. I grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil and started to write down all the letters it was pointing to. It seemed to be writing an entire sentence. When the planchette stopped, I looked down at my paper and saw that I had written, it's okay, let go now. What the hell does that mean, I said. Everyone's attention turned to the board again. One person yelled out, what do you mean, let go? The planchette started to move again. This time it spelled out earthquake. I then asked if whoever we were talking to died in an earthquake. The planchette then slid over to no. 
As we all sat there trying to think of something to ask the board, it then spelled out Marshall's Cave. At first I couldn't place it, but then a moment later someone pointed out that we had just been there. That's where our team building day was. We all stared at each other, wondering if something had followed us from those caves and is now trying to communicate with us. Did you follow us from that cave? I asked. The planchette then spelled out this haunting sentence. Your bodies never left. I ask it one more question. Are we dead? Yes. Wow, thank you very much, S. Savage, for sending in that story. That was definitely spooky. And again, thank you to everyone who sent in their stories. I always have so much fun reading them, bringing them to life, playing with sound effects, playing with effects on my editing software that I usually don't touch. It's a nice change in pace for me uh, this episode, this time of year. I really, really enjoy it and I hope you did as well. And if you are on TikTok or Instagram, I would love to see you over at hellno underscore a true crime podcast on either and or both Instagram or TikTok. Thanks for listening. I really hope everyone enjoyed those twisted, terrifying tales. And I really look forward to bringing you the bonus Halloween uh, campfire frights on Halloween. See you then. Thank you.